Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the 140th episode of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a quick corner route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, fellas? Good to be back. I uh, had a lot of heartbreak in uh, football, sense of the word, heartbreak, uh, since we last visited with everybody. So I'm sure you'll get to hear me uh Hear me go on about that. I made my list of things uh, involving the national championship that I was uh, that I felt were turning points of it. Uh, we'll get to that in a lot more. I'm excited to be here as always. Let's, let's get this thing going, man. All right. Well, we can't get it going without the third amigo in the second city, a man who has been exploring uncharted territories. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, and I just want to say, look, you know, we, we would have done a recap show this right after the game or that, that week, but we had a Georgia Bulldog as a co-host. We needed to give him time to grieve. I mean, that was that was a knife to the back, the heart, everywhere. Yeah, I, I was watching the game with Coach, and we'll get to it, you know, a little bit later. But the only time I've, you know, I, I can I can have felt similar heartbreak, Josh, is when Wisconsin basketball was in the title game a couple of years ago, winning with you know three minutes to go in the game, ends up losing to Duke uh, by just five, four points. Uh, that mm. was that that was about the only only time I, c- I can think, say that I've been that close uh, to the trophy and ended up going down in defeat. So, well, um, Matt, we don't, we don't swear a lot on this show and the few times we do, you have to edit it out, but just Duke. That's all I have to say. Uh, duly noted, (laughs) duly noted. Well, uh, on today's show, uh, basketball, basketball, that is, we'll always root for coach Cutcliffe. Come on. Oh yeah. We love Duke football. (laughs) Just when it, when it comes to, uh, we can do without, um, well, on today's show, we will definitely be getting to uh, looking at the national title game, both the Georgia-Alabama game and the phenomenal North Dakota State-James Madison matchup that took place two days before that. Um, but before we get to those games, a couple other topics to throw around. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to have to start on a very tragic note. We're recording this on the night of Thursday, the 18th, uh, this past Tuesday afternoon, Washington State quarterback Tyler Holinsky was found dead in his room on campus, and police have confirmed that it was, in fact, a suicide. Holinsky was only 21 years old and was the presumed starter for the Cougars uh, going into this next season after the graduation from Luke Falk. In fact, he started their bowl game against Michigan State. Um, It is unclear at this point sort of the motives or reasons behind the suicide, but it is very tragic nonetheless uh, for obviously his family, his football team, and that university as a whole. Josh, kind of a lot to unpack here. So as the son of uh, someone uh, of a mental health professional, I'd like to get your opinions and your thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, 1-800-273-8255, that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. For those of us, uh, like the three of us, who fortunate to live in, in big cities, there's even more localized support. So, you know, if you're ever feeling that, look it up, Google it. You, I know they do texting now. Um, so just, yeah, I mean, don't, like, it's, it's just tragic. And I would feel this way if it was, uh, you know, just a random Washington state student who we never would have thought about. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get into speculation about specifics. I'll just, you know, celebrate one of the highlights that Washington state Boise state game was phenomenal. And, um, you know, I, I hope, hope his story could be a positive one in that this brings more light to, uh, to an issue that affects, you know, college campuses all the time. You know, it's not just athletes or, you know, the, the big deaths that we should remember, but you know, there's a lot of kids who feel pressure at this age in school, a lot going on. And unfortunately, sometimes it's too much to handle um, because they don't, reach out and they, they don't take advantage of mental health opportunities in terms of what colleges offer. And, and so just be your own best advocate. If you feel something's not right, if you feel depressed, speak up, say something. And, and, you know, that's really all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, you, you have no idea what people are going through. I mean, it could be, all happy and go lucky on the, on the surface. And then all of a sudden, bam, something like that happens. And, and you just really don't know what kind of demons someone is dealing with until they open up. And it's, and it's gotta be on that person to open up or somebody close by them to, to try to figure out, you know, that something is wrong and try to get them the help that they need, you know? And sometimes people just for whatever reason, can't or don't want to advocate for themselves. And, you know, and, and, and unfortunately and sadly, it usually ends up in a situation like like Tyler Helsinki. It just, it's an extremely sad situation. It's someone who seemed like he had a lot going for him, but apparently he just, he felt the pressure and, and just could not, just felt like, you know, just felt like just let the demons overtake him. Just felt like, I guess, this was the best option. And it's extremely, extremely sad, and you know my my heart sank when I when I heard about this. Absolutely, and um, you know we can. I don't want to get into the you know on the field consequence of this right now because it's not the time or the place for that. But from everything that I've you know read about everything, he seems like he was a wonderful young man. Uh, comes from a great family, has a couple other brothers who are all quarterbacks as well. Um, from uh, he's from Northern California, I believe. And, you know, so just our, our, our hearts go out to, you know, everyone who, who knew him. And we hope that, you know, they, that everyone on that team on that campus and from their family gets, you know, the counseling they need to get through this, what is an unimaginably difficult time. And so there's no sort of natural segue to our next topic. So we'll just jump right into it. Um, uh, after summarily dismissing uh, Rich Rodriguez about two weeks ago, another uh, Pac-12 school moved from Washington State. We moved out to the University of Arizona. They did what their in-state rival should have done, and that is hired Kevin Sumlin, who was, without a doubt, the best coaching candidate out there for either of those jobs. Uh, 
Sumlin just finished a six-year stint at Texas A&M, where he went 51 and 26, including 25 and 23 in conference. And obviously, that is in the SEC West, uh, year in and year out, the most difficult division in college football. He has a career record of 86 and 43 between his time at Houston and Texas A&M. Josh, you know, we're all big fans of this hire, but do you think that someone can elevate the Wildcats to be a year-in and year-out contender for the Pac-12 South, you know, along the lines of a USC? I think they can, believe it or not. They've invested a lot of money in that program. They've done a lot of refurbishment to the stadium. They've done uh, upgrades to facilities, all the things that top-end programs have to do and you look at that Pac-12 South and UCLA is probably going to be a lot better thanks to Chip Kelly but at the same time they just they don't ever put it together and it's a program that I'm, I'm kind of wait and see as intriguing as the hire is it's been a long time since UCLA has been consistently good they have a lot of peaks and valleys. Uh, and then you got USC, who just foreshadowing a later uh, topic on tonight. They just had Sam Darnold leave, and that team was all Darnold and nothing else. I'm not really sold on Clay Helton as a coach. I don't think USC is back to where they were with Pete Carroll by a long shot. So that program, I'm not too worried about. Uh, Utah, always nice, always well coached, but again, I think that Kevin Sumlin can easily, you know, t- best the Utes. Uh, you got Arizona State. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, let's just start laughing at them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a joke right there. Uh, they're going to be a joke. So, <laughs> at, you know, I think the Pac-12 South is a nice conference. It's got some good coaches potentially. Uh if Clay Helton can find another quarterback, but the, the, the Pac-12 has five good coaches in Herb Edwards. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's what I texted you guys when, yeah. when the news broke. Yeah, I mean the the Pac-12 North is stacked. Don't get me wrong, but I actually think that the I think the Pac-12 South is ripe for the picking, and I think Kevin Sumlin is one hell of a coach, and he is inheriting one hell of a quarterback. Yeah, and so, Coach, that's what my question was going to be to you is, uh, should Khalil Tate be the, uh, you know, the odds-on favorite going into the year for the Heisman if he's going to run someone's system with the amount of poise he showed last year for Rich Rod? Well, I mean, it, it's you got to think it's a possibility at this point. I don't, I don't know how much juice he has as far as the voters go, but um, you got to think that what someone was able to do for a guy like Johnny Manziel and getting his Heisman campaign launched. Uh, Got to feel good about it. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of wait to see what he can, what he can do. Um, I'm expecting Manziel type performance from Khalil Tate. He's, you know, I'm excited to watch this Arizona team. I think, you know, uh, outside of the Heisman, I, I just think that he's just such a weapon that Arizona, I, I could see them winning the, the, I almost called it the AFC South, the uh, the Pac-12 <laughs> South, uh, far and away. I mean, I, I think it's I think they're they're odds on favorites to win the win the division for sure. I, I mean, think I, I think I think the odds makers will odds makers will have USC as the division favorite going in 
to the season until I think proven otherwise, essentially, even with the losses of Josh Rosen and Ronald Jones and some of those wide receivers and whatnot, it's still USC. Yeah. I I just don't think USC is built for the long haul right now. Um, You know, until they start really building their roster, I think for long-term success, I think, you know, teams like, Arizona and, you know, Arizona's not built for the long haul by any stretch, um, but they are built to, to make a, you know, to make a run in, in what I consider a pretty weak division, um, considering the two quarterbacks that have just left for the NFL and uh, the mass exodus of talent, it seems like. So um, I'll tell you what's intriguing. I'll tell you what's intriguing if they're an Arizona football fan. Uh, their schedule unfolds very nicely. Their conference opener is at Oregon State, so a crossover road game at the worst team in the conference. Then they host USC the next week, so pretty early on. We don't know what their quarterback situation will be like with USC. You figure they'll reload, but still, you will always want to catch a rebuilding team early. Uh, then they host California, California as a kind of a nasty team, so getting them at home is good. They travel to Utah. That's probably their toughest game. Um, and then they're at UCLA, who we don't know what it's going to be like in year one for Chip Kelly. Then they host Oregon, so another seemingly tough team at home. Uh, then they host Colorado before a bye. Then they're up in Pullman before finishing off with Arizona State. So they avoid Stanford. They avoid Washington, they get USC at home. Uh, really, their two toughest games seem like at Utah and at UCLA. Uh, I'd say maybe at Washington State you could throw in there too. Maybe, but that's late in the season. What does uh, what do what do pirate coach teams do? They fall off. Yeah. So you, you're right. I mean, I, I think you could. I, I haven't looked at their not. Josh, do they have any notable non-conference games this year? Yeah, their non-conferences, they host BYU, they head to Houston, and then they get Southern Utah. I think I think they'll be underdogs at Houston. I think Houston will be, you know, Houston, you know, it's always going to, it's going to be a force to be reckoned. It's going to be a good one, though. It's like homecoming for Kevin Sumlin. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, that, that'll be, that, that'll be a great early season game, by the way. That'll yeah, that could be their, that could be their coming out party. You know, if they, you know, if they drub Houston in H-Town on the road, you know, look out. That'll be yeah. that'll be a big statement opportunity. That 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 quarterback situ- that Khalil Tate situation though. I mean that that really has me encouraged uh, for the Wildcats. I think also you know you, you got to look at you know some of the recruiting success that someone has had in the state of Texas. You gotta you gotta note that Arizona is not a weak state for, for recruiting, especially the Phoenix area. So no, and even when he was at A and M, he was pulling some good kids out of Arizona every year. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of talent to be had in that southwest uh, area of the country, and and he can really kind of just uh, tighten that grip down um, and kind of be the Pac-12 rulers of that region of the country. And and uh, I'm extremely excited for him. I, I thought he was kind of Treated unfairly at Texas A&M, but I guess the uh, the expectations there are probably a little too crazy. Uh, they do have some of the nicest facilities because they've spent the most money on them um, in the country. So uh, if you could, you know, he can win in, in the biggest conference in the country. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the big one of the biggest recruits he ever got in Texas A and M was Christian Kirk, who was a five star out of Scottsdale, Arizona, to yes. come to Texas A and M. He's leaving early this year for the draft because yep. he is, you know, he's going to be a top twenty five pick. Oh yeah, you know, and you know he, he he has that he has that recruiting pull, and you know I'm excited for him. I'm glad he finally I'm glad he found the right situation. I'm glad somebody stopped screwing around and, and hired him. I was worried Tennessee was going to going to hire him and that was going to be trouble for him but but honestly culturally though he fits so much better at Arizona than he would have at Tennessee yeah you're right I, I, mean, I, I, I think I think his style is perfect for the Pac-12 I think that his demeanor is great for the Pac-12 I know he's sort of a, a Texas guy at heart but still man I I think there is no reason to to doubt that, that that team could get at least 10 wins this year yeah no kidding I mean it's, so. it's, it's going to be exciting I I, I'm, I'm rooting for – I'm not going to say I'm, gonna, I'm an Arizona fan, but I'm, I'm rooting for Arizona. I met Kevin Sumlin at the AFCA convention actually last year. Super nice guy. Uh, talked with me for about five minutes when he didn't have a clue who, who I was. So um, that, was, that was good to see. Um, yeah, he, he's a coach I've, I've always liked, and I'm really glad to see that he has ended up in what I think should be a great situation for him. I hope he stays for a while too. I, well, I, hope, I hope that he does too. And I, I, wish him, I wish him the utmost success. Mm-hmm. Um, As do I, except when he's playing UCLA. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think he'll kill it, uh, and I, I think Chip Kelly will eventually kill it at, at UCLA, and they'll mm-hmm. they'll make the, the Pac-12 South good again. Mm-hmm. I think the Pac-12 South will. It, it's all cyclical. It, it'll it'll come back around, and, and they'll start to be kind of the kings of the conference again uh, when UCLA, uh, U- USC, and Arizona become kind of like the three headed monster, and then you have Utah in there as well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of teams with a lot of potential. They're just they're just not there yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're gonna you're gonna have five good teams in Arizona State. <laughs> uh, I, I think he will stay for a while. Honestly, he's got a Power Five school, so it's not like he slid too far off. Not like he did a Lane Kiffin. They uh, will they will build a statue. Yeah. If he, if he if he wins a conference championship there. They will build a statue. He will be king of that entire state, yeah. and I mean, he'll he'll be like the governor in that state if he wins it there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like, but like you know, he's at a Power Five school, so he's got that going for it. Arizona. Like I said, they're committed to getting their football turned around. And what's he going to leave for a blue blood? You know, I sort of pass on him this hiring cycle. Texas passed on him. You know, USC is looking for the next Pete Carroll. They're sticking to that tree. Um, I don't really see any of the, the sexy Big Ten jobs opening up and him really wanting to go to Michigan. Like, it doesn't – I don't see one happening. So I, I think he'll find a great, great home in Tucson. And with this much love that we're giving Arizona, I feel like we can honorarily say bear down. Yeah, bear down. Yeah. Um, well, obviously he's going to bring bringing some new coordinators uh, there with him, I believe. But there was he's, coor- keep, he's keeping his uh, he's keeping the existing uh, defensive coordinator. Okay, I mean that makes um, sense. And Arizona's buyout. Here's here's a uh, here's an update on some of the kind of some of the numbers for everybody. Um, this is according to Football Scoop. Uh, Arizona's buyout to Kevin Sumlin if he's fired without cause is ten million Ooh. in 2018, 2019. It drops to seven and a half in two in twenty twenty, and then five mil in twenty twenty one, and the remaining amount uh, on left on the contract in twenty twenty two. 
if he were to leave, he'd owe Arizona ten million. So if he stays one year and leaves, he owes them ten million. Mm. Uh, stays two years. If he stays, no, that's if he stays. Uh, if he leaves after this year and then after the following year, so he's after eighteen or after nineteen. Yeah, so he's got to stay at least two, two full seasons, uh, or he's going to owe a huge chunk of money. Yeah. Um, it drops down to five million in twenty twenty, three million in twenty twenty one, one million in twenty twenty two. He's going to have three point four million um, in uh, salary pool for his assistants. So that's, that's a decent chunk of change for assistants. It is. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess the last name out there for who needs a landing pad. It's gonna be Todd Graham. I mean, this guy went. He's ninety-five and sixty-one in his career, forty-six of thirty-two, eight games over five hundred in Pac-12 play with Arizona State. Uh, yeah, he's gotta be. He's gotta be next, right? Or is he gonna go back down to being a defensive coordinator? It's gotta be him. Or, yeah, I, I mean, if there are any jobs also, open right now, defensive coordinator. But yeah, I mean, but there's you, always there's always a wild card situation like what happened with Ole Miss. Or there's always a situation where an NFL team will hire. Uh, not all the NFL positions are filled yet, and someone might, you know, try to poach someone uh, yeah, from the college I mean, ranks. You know, it, it's it's crazy. You know, it, it'll it'll work out for him somewhere. Um, there might be an FCS school that's looking. You know, he could go the Bo Pelini route. Um, but you know, honestly, I would probably see him go the coordinator route for a year, and then and then get a job and try to work. You know. Just try to work it out that way. Well, speaking of defensive coordinators, uh, there have been a couple of uh, coordinator hires and changes out there that uh, since we last spoke. And so, you know, a couple notable ones, you know, just the ones that have caught up my eyes. Um, Pitt hired uh, Northwestern linebackers coach Randy Bates to become their defensive coordinator. Uh, Penn State promoted tight ends coach and passing game coordinator Ricky Rain uh, to take over as offensive coordinator after Joe Moore had left for uh, Mississippi State. Uh, Washington State, um, uh, their defensive coordinator left, and so they hired uh, Tracy Clays, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, Mizzou has hired Derek Dooley, blast from the past uh, for Tennessee oh. fans out there, as their offensive coordinator. Um, and Alabama still has... Alabama still has two vacancies, so and there are a bunch of other ones. So, Coach, I mean, you're a little more tapped in on the on the coaching circuit. So, any of these names jump out at you, or other ones that you want to note? Well, um, I think uh, one of the ones that we should note is Alabama lost Derek Ansley, their defensive backs coach, who they were going to just go ahead and promote, but he became uh, before they got a chance to promote him. Um, he became the defensive coordinator at Colorado State for a day. And then he joined John Gruden's staff with the Raiders. Um, <laughs> uh, so I want to throw that out there. Brian Dable bolting for the NFL um, to be the Bills offensive coordinator. Um, Alabama actually hired uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, head coach. No, they hired I'm, I'm drawing <laughs> right here. Um, they hired their defensive coordinator uh, and defensive backs coach. But uh, – the, the one that really, the one that really makes me want to scratch my head is the Derek Dooley hire. Uh, I, I, we'll I talk about that. I mean, you've seen Derek Dooley up close and personal. He doesn't exactly jump out to me as as the greatest X's and O's guy. He's not. He's he's a perfect. He had a perfect gig. Um, it was. It was Carl Scott. That's who it was. Um, 
and then their co-defense coordinator is Tosh Lapui, the, the defensive line coach. But no, Derek Dooley, he he was in a perfect gig in the NFL, just being a position coach, making a ton of money, uh, having a whole lot of pressure. Uh, and now it just it's a head scratcher. He comes to Missouri of all places. Missouri was finished out the season as one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Yeah. I felt like, and they lose their offensive coordinator, who became the uh, hypo, who became the head coach at UCF. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I don't understand their thinking with that hire, with so many names out there. Uh, I just I don't get it, you know. And, and he's also he he doesn't from from my knowledge he doesn't run that same sort of spread system that hypo does. No, he doesn't. Well, actually, I don't know what system he runs. I don't <laughs> think he knows what system. He runs. <laughs> that I, might be the bigger problem. I, he's he's a goofball in my mind. I mean, he... he <laughs> this is a case where the apple fell very far from the tree. Yeah, it, it like fell and rolled and bruised up and then rotted. <laughs> and, you know, was put in a shopping cart and carried around by a homeless guy. and Had a couple worms in it? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Like, he, he's... You know, he obviously... I don't know. I mean, he's been in the NFL for a while, so I, don't, I, I guess there's there's that pedigree but you know he he was he wasn't even the head coach of his own position that was des bryant was was actually the receivers coach because <laughs> um, i you, you would see him constantly getting berated by des bryant on the sideline so i mean just with all that stuff that happened at tennessee and all like just the mismanagement of the program and just he was kind of like a milder version of butch jones you know, just the cheesy one-liners at the press conference and, you know, maybe he just, you know, and he got his law degree. So maybe he just needs to go be a lawyer. Maybe he'd be a decent lawyer. I don't <laughs> know if he's a good SEC football coach. But uh, another name that that uh, I'm happy for uh, because I know him personally uh, from my time at Georgia, Brian McClendon uh, was, was given the interim offensive coordinator tag for the bowl game uh, at South Carolina. Uh, they have since removed that tag, and he is the permanent offensive coordinator uh, for the the Gamecocks. So I'm, I'm happy for him. Uh, as you know how that game unfolded, they they erased a 16-point deficit and, and got their offense really going um, in that game. He inherits Jake Bentley as the starter, uh, so he's in pretty good shape there, as Will Muschamp's offensive coordinator. So happy for him. think he'll do a good job. Uh, but uh, some names I'm hearing uh, for the Alabama offensive coordinator spot. Uh, one name is Hugh Freeze. Um, they're they're interviewing Hugh Freeze, and that name scares the daylights out of me because of what he's been able to do at Ole Miss. Um, and that would be that would make that machine even even stronger. I think that. Uh, given all his personal issues and, and moral issues, uh, you have to question that. But as far as sheer football talent, you can't you can't even. I mean, he's one of the he, he's a brilliant offensive mind. Uh, he's the one that's cracked the code on the on the Alabama defense. So I guess Nick Saban's like, well, you know, I did it for Sark. Maybe I can do it for. For Hugh Freeze, maybe I can get him <laughs> right morally. <laughs> so uh, that that was one name that was interesting that 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 was uh, that was thrown out there. Um, and you know, honestly, I think he'll probably end up being the offensive coordinator for uh, for the Crimson Tide. Uh, the uh, Todd Clay's 
Tracy Clay's. Todd, uh, Tracy Clay's at uh, Washington State. That'll be an interesting hire. I I like that hire. I think they. I think. Really? Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Tracy Clay's. You know, I mean, I, I think he's underrated from what he did. I think he's a better. I mean, honestly, I think he's a better coordinator. My experience with him has been as a head coach. I think he's a better coordinator than he is a head coach, and he might do well in that situation. And there's. I mean, think of how much pressure is on you at Washington State. They've played zero defense <laughs> ever. There is literally no pressure. So any sort of positive result, you you crack the top fifty in any defensive category, man. They might be build. They might build you a statue in Pullman. I don't know. <laughs> they might give you your own street uh, on the Palouse, and it's. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, there's not a whole lot of pressure, which which leads me to believe that that's why I think it's you know it's a good good fit for him, and I think it'll be a good situation because he doesn't have that far up to go. I mean, I I just, I just think they could use him more as a nose tackle than they could as a coordinator. <laughs> they probably could. I mean, be a player coach. I, I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, you know, I, I, Tracy Clay's probably isn't the most articulate human being ever, and he. Uh, Neither is that Orgeron. He has the body language, unfortunately, of someone you kind of write off as a doofus. But Minnesota had really, really good defenses, and in his one season as head coach, he went nine and four. He's he also looks like, down. He also looks like Gr- State in that bowl game. He's a damn good coach. Actually. He looks like Grimace from the from McDonald's. Yeah, and so that <laughs> so that leads that leads people to frankly kind of underestimate his X's and O's, O's knowledge. I think he's a really good coach. Um, the one that kind of intrigued me is, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, but the, the Penn State hire, Ricky Rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about inheriting a really good situation. He's got Trace McSorley back. Well, he's been with James Franklin for a long time. Yeah, and James Franklin's an offensive guy, so... He's been with him a long time, so I figured he would yeah. pick up something. Yeah, so I, I, I'm curious about, you know, just how, frankly, awesome he is. Like, is he a name to look out for to, uh, to springboard into, you know, bigger and better things? I think he's going to – I think he's kind of one of those guys that's going to have to be around for a couple of years. Uh, he's not quite there yet. He's got a lot of clout, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah. All right. Well, um, the last thing we're going to get to uh, here before we go into some deep roots, then uh, it's it's uh, starting to be draft season. Uh, and we've got a lot of notable guys leaving and a couple of interesting choices of guys who are actually staying uh, for the NFL draft. So, oh, wait, we didn't talk about Matt Canada being uh, um, paid – LSU goes, yeah, we'll we'll give you one point seven million to to go mutually away. agreed to to, to part ways. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't mention that. That's, yeah, well, that was, that's a shame. Well, you know, so it goes. I mean, LSU hasn't had an offense at their school since Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, not probably Thanks. since Bissell Pete. <laughs> Pete Maravich. Yeah, I mean, he was a great scorer. He could really fill it up. Guys, I don't know how we left this one out, uh, but Will Burnham, the tight ends fullbacks coach at UT Martin, has accepted the running backs, tight ends, and co-special teams coordinator at Glenville State. 
in West Virginia. How the heck we left that one off? Gosh, I don't know. That's huge. That is huge. Well, we got to talk draft here for a couple minutes. Um, You know, obviously, every year it seems more and more underclassmen are declaring for the NFL draft. Among the notable names this year, um, we already mentioned Sam Darnold, uh, other two, a couple other bust, a couple other quarterbacks. Doofus bust will be terrible. Couple of the quarterbacks going early, uh, leaving early, I should say. uh, Josh Rosen from UCLA. Really good. (laughs) uh, Josh Allen from Wyoming. Unknown. Lamar Jackson. Uh, X-Vector, yes. Yeah, I, he, he, he's closer to Mike Vick than he is to Cam Newton. Cam Newton is built like an outside linebacker. L- Lamar Jackson is built like uh, a shooting guard in the NBA. Like, you know, uh, Lamar, still, Lamar did increase his accuracy a ton this year. Um, I think he's going to make it as a quarterback in the NFL, personally. I would roll the dice with him. Um, especially I, as a Buffalo's Bill, Buffalo Bills fan, I would love to see him in those gorgeous, gorgeous uniforms that the Bills <laughs> wear. Um, other notable players going. Uh, uh, a couple. Run- to throw some cold water on you. <laughs> uh, a couple. Uh, a couple uh, notable running backs: Saquon Barkley from Penn State. Oh, be good. Darius Geis from LSU. Uh, Carry on Johnson from Auburn. He'll be um, good. Uh, Ronald Jones from USC. Meh. Um, who knows about him? Um, uh, otherwise, we've got um, on the defensive side of the ball, Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, Alabama, defense- so he'll be a bust. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, his, uh, as a corner, no. <laughs> uh, well, he, he's going as a safety, I think. But uh, the other safety there, Ron- uh, Alabama, Ron- Ronnie Harrison. Alabama uh, player will be a bust. Uh, Derwin James from Florida State. He'll be good. Uh, uh, Josh Jackson from Iowa. Yep, loved him. Loved him on Dawson's Creek as well. Um, Deron Payne, the defensive tackle from Alabama. He'll be uh, a boss because he's uh, plays in Alabama. Uh, Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver from Alabama. Um, okay, if he's anything like Julio Jones, he won't be a bust. Yeah, but, but, if he's, I, don't, but I don't trust Alabama players too much. Um, Roquan Smith from Georgia. And Vita Vea, the massive defensive tackle from Washington. Never heard of him. He'll eat his way out of the NFL. He's going to eat his way out of the NFL, or he's just going to eat offensive guards on his way to the quarterback. Um, Yes. So uh, (laughs) any of those guys sort of surprise you by coming out or think they should have stayed longer? I think Sam Darnold could have used another year. Mm, No, because his draft stock's going to go down, and he's overrated, and he's going to be a bust. Um, none of these, none of these uh, names I feel like that came out early um, should have stayed. I think someone like Josh Allen, this is his all-time highest <laughs> draft grade, yeah. and he's taken advantage of it. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Ro- Roquan Smith, um, he was truly on the fence, but I, I think he made the right choice. Um, Honestly, I think the biggest no-brainer is Josh Jackson. He, he's never gonna be higher buzz than right now. He's graduated in May, and Iowa's not a contender. Why the hell would he have stayed? Yeah. Make your money, Josh Jackson. Yeah, he's going to be a first-round pick. Like, yeah, Iowa fans were glad that he didn't come back. As much as we enjoyed having Desmond King for another year, it's like, why? <laughs> yeah. Uh, somehow, Iowa's become a defensive back factory. Who knew? 
Um, I mean, shoot, uh, Micah Hyde went to Iowa, was a yeah. second team all pro this year. Um, yeah. I mean, back in the day, Bob Sanders, like, yeah, who knew? I mean, who knew? The weird thing is, Iowa produces a lot of good linemen, linebackers, and secondary players, yet never all on the same defense. No, <laughs> only one of those position groups is ever good at a time. Yeah, so, um, I think what's Thanks, more. I think what's more interesting, though, uh, are the guys who are staying. Um, first of all, it was announced this week Bryce Love is staying. That surprised me a lot, especially considering his injury history from this year. Uh, it, I, I was truly shocked that he decided to come back for another season at Stanford. Um, basically, the entirety of the Clemson front seven is coming back, including uh, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, and Klein Farrell all along the defensive line, uh, Kendall Joseph at linebacker. Those guys are all, uh, you know, very, very notable. And Clemson's defense next year should still be, uh, you know, among the top five units in the country. Christian Wilkins surprised me especially. He was a guy that I thought would go in sort of the top half of the first round. Um, other notable players coming back, uh, TJ Edwards, the linebacker from Wisconsin, uh, Will Greer and David Sills, the quarterback-wide receiver combination of West Virginia, Miles Gaskin, uh, running back up there at Washington. Um, any other guys that uh, you, you guys were sort of surprised that are coming back for another year of school? Well, I guess the Bryce Love thing, I'm never, I'm never that surprised when someone at like a extremely good academic institution stays. You know, it's easy to just say, oh, they're football players. But like that Stanford diploma goes a really long way. Mm -hmm. And to even get in, you have to be pretty academically motivated. So that might have played a role in, in Bryce Love wanting to get that Stanford diploma. Um, and you know, when you're the runner-up to the Heisman and it's, like, right there, maybe that's something he cares about. I was surprised, but I'm also really excited for him. And then Miles Gaskin, God, the Pac-12 North, it's going to be one hell of a fun race. Oh, yeah. It really will be. I mean, it's going to be nasty. Uh, UW is is going to be loaded for bear. Um, I think they're, you know, Stanford's going to be right there with it, too. I mean, it's going to be the Bryce Love Show. I mean – you know, you mentioned Khalil Tate. Uh, the the fact that Bryce Love was coming back makes makes me pause um, at calling Khalil Tate uh, an early Heisman favorite. I think he will contend, but he'll come on the scene late. And it's and I think it's going to be Bryce Love's to uh, to lose personally. All right. It, yeah, and, and the other thing is, how many of those players from your list, Matt, were Clemson Tigers? Half of them. Yeah. Uh, pencil them into the playoffs and honestly with another year for Bryant and, and just that offense getting a little bit better that's going to be a scary team and I think they've got pretty much their entire offensive line coming back as well yeah. um, you know they're going to be, I mean, obviously, at, at this point, they are, if Alabama's the 1A team in college football, Clemson's 1B. But, I mean, shoot, th those guys are going to be absolutely stacked for this year. So, uh, before we get to our deep roots, though, uh, gentlemen, uh, time for a little pop quiz. Oh, yeah. Pop quiz. So, I, pop quiz. I didn't study. <laughs> well, you can't study for a pop quiz. You don't know what it's going to be about. But we're talking draft. So, gentlemen. Did you say draft or giraffe? 
Oh, it, it could be giraffe. I do like giraffes, though not my favorite animal from uh, from the savannah. Maybe not even my top three. I'm, I'm going with elephants, rhinos, and hippopotamuses. Um, hippopotamuses? Yeah, uh, I'm the hippopotamus whose rhymes are bottomless. Um, anyhow, uh, <laughs> talking the NFL draft, um, uh, gentlemen, uh, on the opening day of the 2017 NFL season, there were 18 schools that had at least 30 players in the NFL. Uh, your job is to name those 18 schools. For a bonus point, you can tell me how many uh, players they had. Uh, Coach, we're going to start with you first today. I'm going with the Georgia Bulldogs. They had at one point they had 45. Uh, excellent. Uh, as of opening day, they had 38. 38 on okay. opening day. I guess a few people have gotten cut. But yeah, uh, yeah Georgia's. George is definitely up there. All right, Josh. Mm, 30's the threshold. I feel like Florida State has to cover that. Oh, Florida State does cover that. You wanted to throw a number out there for me? <sighs> I mean, you know, I watch uh, – I've currently seen precisely zero NFL games this year. So I feel like Coach is going to win this one pretty easily. Uh, I will say they have 42. Ooh, close. They have 40. Oh, okay. Coach. The U. Yes, Miami. That is correct. How many? I'm going to say 39. 44 for the U. 44. Josh. Ohio State? The Ohio State University is correct. Uh, 42. That is correct. (laughs) 42. I have a hint. That's going to be my guess for everyone. (laughs) All right. Uh, Coach. I'm going to say Bama. Alabama is correct. How many? 35. 44. Told you. And and Trent Richardson counts as three of them. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, no, he was not on an opening day roster this year. I can tell you that much. He uh, like he was on an opening day roster. <laughs> <laughs> Josh. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm going to go with the Men of Troy with uh, 42. Ooh, uh, Men of Troy are correct. 45 for USC, 45. Coach. Ooh, okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. Oklahoma is correct. How many? 37. 33 for Oklahoma. Josh? Hmm, let's see. Let's see. Have we somehow skipped Clemson? It has not been said yet. Clemson with, um, I'm feeling 42. (laughs) Clemson, not 42. I'll give you guys both a hint. No other schools have 42 besides Ohio State that Josh already said. Mm, I'm pretty sure they all have. (laughs) Coach. (laughs) Uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is correct. How many? Uh, not 42. <laughs> 40, 40. 32 for the Badgers. Yeah. All of them offensive linemen. <laughs> Probably. And Russell Wilson. And Melvin Gordon. <laughs> yeah. Josh. Let's see. I believe that one of the surprising teams is – the Iowa Hawkeyes with 41. 
Ooh, sorry. Strike one, Josh. Iowa only has 26. Oh, that's pretty close to 30, and that is probably a little bit surprising. Uh, I, I was actually surprised that Iowa was that low. Coach. All right. Um, you have to go with the Tennessee Vols. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> they have 29. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> no, they, they used to be. They used to be up there. All right, let's see. <laughs> no, mm. you don't. Oh, mm. I'm going to say that the Virginia Tech Hokie defense has been so good that they've put a lot of defensive players in. And I'm going to say they are just over the threshold. I'm going to say 32. Oh, Josh, not even close. 14. What is Bud? What is Bud Foster doing? Not his job, apparently. Not recruiting. <laughs> um. All right, I'm going to go with the Longhorns. Tejas. Tejas. Um, I am sorry to inform you, sir, um, but Texas. Has 29, just short. Hmm. You had both have two strikes at this point, hmm. and, you're, and you're missing the top two schools as well. Hmm. Well. Trying to think. Uh, Notre Dame? Notre Dame is correct. How many? Uh, 40? 31 for Notre Dame. 31. Just over the threshold. Yes. Nailed it. Coach. Nailed it. I was going to say Auburn, but I know that's not correct. Is Auburn your choice? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Auburn is correct. How many? Uh, 31. 34 for Auburn. 34. Hmm. God. Bama's not number one. Bama's actually number four. Hmm. Bama and the U are tied for fourth. Is it North Dakota State? (laughs) (laughs) All quarterbacks? Let's see. Has 29 other Boston College Eagles joined Matt Ryan? That feels like a no. Um, I will go with... Michigan. Michigan is correct. How many? Uh, 34. I don't know. 35. Ooh. It's not 42. <laughs> Coach. Florida. Florida is correct. How many? Um, I'm going to go with uh, 39. Florida, 45. They're number two. Ah, nice. Tied with USC for number two, I should say. Hmm. Okay, still missing what? number one. Still missing number one. Hmm. Let's see. Well, you got you got Larry Fitzgerald and you got the interception champ in Nathan Peterman. So does Pitt have twenty eight others? You got Darrell Revis. Revis Island. All right. Revis was not uh, Revis was not on a roster on opening day. 
that's good enough. That's good enough for me. Two and a half players, so I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is incorrect. They only hit 23. Josh, you have three strikes and you are out. Coach. 23 is the amount of interceptions Peterman is going to throw next season opening day. Uh, Coach, um, you uh, you guys are currently tied. You need one more for the win. One more for the win. Okay. All right. Iowa State. <laughs> um, I'll give you a hint. It's not Iowa State. Hey, they have Jake not in the league. Let's see. Who am, I, uh, who am I missing here? There's a ton of people in the league that I'm just not thinking of. Now, are you counting the school of hard knocks, like when they used to say that during Monday Night Football? Um, sorry, that, that has not come up as a, uh, as, as, a, as a school, but Walla Walla Community College does. <laughs> does Rand University count? <laughs> no, but Mary Harden Baylor does. <laughs> nice. Um, Mount St. Union. No. Um, a Pierre Garçon went there. <laughs> no, Kentucky Wesleyan. They show up. But he wasn't on the opening day roster. <laughs> Shit. Um, edit that out. <laughs> I'm going to go with Penn State. Didn't I guess them already? No, you did not. No, you did not guess <laughs> Penn State is correct. How many, Coach? Uh, for the win, they we, have the most. Yeah, that 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 gives no. That gives you the win. You now win eight <laughs> to seven. I just going. You're just going for bonus points at this point. Okay. All right, Penn State. Uh, let's see. I'm going go with UCLA. Uh, UCLA. Yes, that is correct. They also have Penn State and UCLA are both exactly at thirty. All right. Uh, I'm going with UW. Uh, Wisconsin's already been named. No, UW. Washington. Washington. Yeah, yeah I, I don't adhere to people calling. Uh, the only UW I, re- I recognize is Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> uh, Washington only has 23. Uh, so, and half um, of those are on the Falcons. So, um, <laughs> Coach, you, you win 9-7. to seven. Um, You guys both missed the team that had number one, six more than any other school. LSU. LSU, really? Mm. LSU, 51 players on opening day rosters. Mm. They're DBU, man. Dave, if you are a defensive back and have gone to LSU, you are in the league. Other schools that you missed. Um, actually, the only other school that you, uh, you guys only missed two other schools. Uh, those were Cal. What? Cal, 32. And Marshawn, Lynch. Marshawn. Marshawn and, Lynch and Aaron Rodgers and who else? Davis Webb? Never heard of him. <laughs> Where does he play? He's a Giants backup quarterback. Oh. <laughs> exactly. He's the Giants backup quarterback. Um, and Didn't he, he play at Oklahoma or Texas Tech or both of them? He played at Texas Tech and then went to Cal. Yeah, he um, might have played for both of them. <laughs> uh, and Utah. Name one NFL player Utah has. Alex Smith. That's, that's it. Yeah. What? Alex Smith, baby. Okay, he does like counts at three yards. Count is thirty. <laughs> uh, Star Lutalele, never heard of Lutalele. He's a defensive tackle for the Panthers. Of course he is. Oh, uh, at Gross sixty nine, Alex Gross. He's from Utah. Yeah, so it was uh, Garrett Bowles, the rookie tackle for the Broncos, first round pick last year. 
Who? <laughs> exactly, exactly, Josh. We know you don't watch the NFL. We get it. Um, what are these? What are these names and teams you're referencing? The, <laughs> Gross sixty nine is uh, he, he plays for the Panthers. Uh, I remember him as a rookie. Uh, I saw his. Uh, he was number sixty nine. His name is Gross. I was thinking that would be a hilarious jersey to buy. <laughs> I can name three Carolina. Carolina. I can name three Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton, mm-hmm. Luke Keekley, mm-hmm. and uh, the white guy from Miami who was on the rap video. Olsen. What about Christian McCaffrey? I did not know that he was on the band. You ever heard of that guy? <laughs> yeah, he should have won the Heisman. He should have. You're right. Um, what about Devin Funches? It's Big Ten. Yeah, but I don't follow these guys once they leave. They're dead to me, Coach. Dead. They're dead to you. Devin Funches. All right. Well, Thomas um, Davis. Well, now. Let's. Uh, he, tore, he tore the same ACL six times. Ooh. Well, let's finally head then to our championship games. Uh, we'll He's get started. He's the two-time recipient of the Comeback Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's trivia I did not need. <laughs> Um, we'll head. We'll, we'll start with the first championship game recap, uh, the one that took place uh, uh, on the Saturday, um, which was North Dakota State uh, beating James Madison in a in a matchup between the last two FCS national champions. North Dakota State wins seventeen to thirteen in what was an excellent, excellent game. Uh, uh, you know, both teams' uh, defenses really showed up. In this one, uh, you know, total yards, only 264 for North Dakota State to 241 for James Madison. Um, You know, uh, what really, you know, came out to matter here was turnovers. James Madison turned the ball over three times. North Dakota State only turned the ball over once. And I think that was really a difference in the game. Because of that, North Dakota State was able to dominate possession uh, almost 38 minutes to James Madison's 22. And I think that's sort of you know, what happened out there on the field. Josh, I know you were tuned in on this one. Uh, what did you see? Yes, it's always nice when our predictions pan out. And I just felt like the interception-prone Dukes going up against a ball-hawking defense was kind of a recipe for disaster. You mentioned those turnovers. Uh, one of those picks big, big, when it was 17-13, uh, late in the third quarter, James Madison got to the red zone and second and 10 at the Bison 20 interception. And that was the deepest James Madison would get again as, as the defenses just, you know, exchanged possessions for the rest of the game. And I, I sort of felt like James Madison needed to, to have an exotic they needed to, to pull something out. And they did on their last drive with that fake punt, but, the rest of their drives, they really weren't in a position to do that. Um, an earlier drive, um, they had a fourth and 13, then they had a fourth and 19, and they just weren't really in a position to do that. They, like I said, they did pull the fake punt, um, but you know they, they couldn't take advantage of any of those other drives, and that, that interception of third was a backbreaker. Coach? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, that's the story of the game, turnovers. And – uh, what impressed me the most was that um, I always say, uh, especially in, in games where 
the you know it's a tough road environment and it's you know it's a good team going on a tough road environment you always got to weather the initial surge and watching this game and watching the initial surge that the bison came out with i was thinking man this thing's gonna be a blowout and uh you know i kind of you know being in the state of mind i was in at the time where georgia was uh, getting ready to play for the national championship two days two days later, I wasn't in the greatest frame of mind to watch a football game because I was so like amped up for the national championship. I know that sounds silly, but um, but it just seemed like once James Madison started calming down a little bit, they started moving the ball, but they just couldn't ever capitalize uh, on a Bison mistake. They couldn't they couldn't take advantage of good field position when they had it. They 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 were careless with the ball. And it just it just seemed like every time the bison would give them something, they would they would kind of squander it. It was just uh, it, I think this game was really just more of missed opportunities from James Madison, whether it be turnovers or just you know a missed throw here or you know a bad play call there or a special teams mistake, you know at, at certain points. And and that's just kind of the way it shaped out. And you know against a team like. The Bison, you can't do that. You know, North Dakota State's going to – they're going to make you pay, and, and and they did. They just – their defense really just made them pay by, you know, limiting their possessions and, and making things difficult on them. And, you know, it's – you know, I, I hate to not give uh, some credit to the, to the North Dakota State defense for a lot of those things, but, you know, I, I just really think that James Madison kind of just blew their opportunities. But uh, Easton Stick, probably one of the greatest names ever, um, was the game's most outstanding player. He had 165 yards of offense. He had a 50-yard touchdown pass to Darius Shepard in the second quarter, um, which which ended up being one of the bigger plays of the game. And, and it, it's, it sounds kind of odd saying that about a, about a touchdown in the second quarter, but the way the defenses were playing, points were at a premium. So I really – I really enjoyed watching this game. I really, I really did. It is as much of a basket case as I was about about Georgia playing in the national championship for the first time in 36 years. Um, I, you know, I really started to enjoy this game, and I, I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it played out. I, I was happy that it played out exactly the way we thought it was. Yeah, you know, it, it turned out to be a great game and a great warm-up to the FBS national title game, uh, which we will now get into, uh, which was one for the ages. Unfortunately, uh, the bad guys won, but uh, it was, you know, Coach, I was there with you for every snap of the game. Uh, and, you know, if you hit the entire range of emotions uh, watching the Georgia-Oklahoma game, I think you even outdid yourself uh, on, on this one if in the Alabama game. Obviously, everyone who's listening to this podcast knows by this point Alabama won the game 26-23 in, uh, in overtime uh, after Tua Tagovailoa came in and rescued uh, the Alabama offense. Uh, but... Uh, Josh, I think it's uh, I think it's fair that we just cede the floor to coach at this point and let him go. All right, guys. Uh, my takeaways. <laughs> I even made a list of this of these things. Um, my takeaways. There was a huge, huge, both literally and figuratively, there's a huge talent gap on the defensive line. Okay, uh, or on on the line of scrimmage, I should say. Um, you know, there there was. Um, 
especially uh, Georgia's offensive line matched up with Alabama's defensive line. You could tell that every every person that put their hand down on that Alabama offensive line is going to be playing in the league. And it was it was made obvious. Uh, Lamont Galliard, who was thinking about leaving early uh, for the NFL, he's a junior, uh, the starting center, was thinking about leaving early. Then he met Deron Payne. Deron Payne said, yeah, yeah, I don't think you're ready. And he just abused him all freaking night long. So uh, hats off to the Alabama defensive line. Got to give him credit. Um, my other takeaway, um, the gutsy call uh, to take your 25-2 and two starter out at halftime, not giving him a chance to, to, to lead a comeback. I thought that was a bold decision, but it was, it was a good one. It, it ended up being a good one. They went with a freshman, Tua Tongavaloa. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. I've heard many different pronunciations, but I thought that was a bold move. That, that, that kid is going to be a tremendous ball player. Um, a lot of people are trying to say that he's going to be the greatest ever. Um, I think they need to pump the brakes on that because uh, we've got a half of football and some mop-up duty as his sample size. Um, I think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit, but Kid is going to be a special ball player. Let's not take anything away from him, but um, he did make a lot of freshman mistakes, which was understandable, but he did make a lot of big league throws in the same token. So I'd like to see him kind of play out over over an entire season uh, to see kind of what truly his body of work is going to be. Um, also, uh, sticking with the theme of, of true freshmen getting their opportunity when they least expect it, Najee Harris, um, another – exact lookalike clone of Derrick Henry and Bo Scarborough and uh, that whole uh, that whole niche of running huge running backs with the with the hair sticking out of the back of the helmet. Uh, but Najee Harris, I think, is going to be the best of all all three of those. I think he ran so hard. He's fast. He's explosive. Uh, very very good there as well. Um, uh, the coaching, I, I think, towards down the stretch, Matt, you could probably definitely agree with this, but the, the experience um, down the stretch kind of played a huge part in, in how that game finished uh, with uh, between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. I, I think given given that opportunity, Nick Saban's probably going to come out ahead on those. There's a reason that he's now 12-0 and against his former assistants. There's a reason why, you know, experience matters at some point. Uh, and, and a game as tight as this one was, experience matters. Um, the turning point. Uh, Georgia kind of had dominated the game despite all of those things I just listed. Uh, they had dominated the game up until this point. Uh, 13 to nothing at halftime just kind of seemed like they were they were kind of doing whatever they wanted to offensively. They were kind of having success on the ground. They were having success through the air. They were, you know, they were Riley Ridley, the younger brother of Calvin Ridley, was was having a bit of a coming out party. And, uh, you know, fast forward to uh, Tagovailoa's first big mistake, which is throwing a throwing an interception right about right about midfield to DeAndre Baker. Um, turning point, Jake Fromm. Two plays later, throws a throws an ill-advised pass. He's in the grasp of a defensive lineman, um, and, and and I get he was trying to make a play, but it bounces off of uh, Alabama Crimson Tide defender's helmet. And what does Alabama do? They pick it off uh, like they always. That ball goes up in the air. It deflects somewhere. Somebody's picking it off somewhere. Somebody at some position is going to pick that ball off if that thing goes shoot, shoot straight up in the air. 
It's probably the worst thing that could have happened to Georgia. Georgia, worst case scenario, would have gotten three points there, made it made it a three possession game, seventeen points, made it a lot more difficult. The momentum would have swung huge in their favor, um, and I think that was kind of one of the turning points of the game uh, as far as as far as making plays. Uh, I thought uh, at first, you know. At first, you know, watching the game, you're thinking, why the heck are they in the fourth quarter? Why the heck have they benched Sony Michelle? Well, it's come out that Sony Michelle had, had a hip injury that he'd been battling through the, the entire game and he just couldn't walk anymore. Um, so he was, uh, he was sidelined with the, with the hip injury. Uh, no one really knew about that. They didn't really say anything about it during the game. It just kind of looked like they had, they had benched him and go with Chubb the whole way. Um, so, which is a shame because Sony was by far the best player on the field uh, for the Bulldogs. Uh, the play calling got super conservative down the stretch. I didn't like that. I, I, I think, you know, you can't take your foot off the gas against a team like Alabama. Um, hot Rod, um, my next point, Hot Rod's going to be a complete stud in the NFL. Um, he's a guy has uh, amazing kicking ability. Uh, and one that's dramatically shifted from last year to, to this year. He, last year he was kind of erratic, and you weren't really kind of sure what you were going to get. I don't think he was kind of sure where the ball was going when he kicked it. But uh, this year he's he's been automatic. He's hit career longs, uh, 55 from uh, in the Rose Bowl and 51 in the first over in in the overtime period. Uh, in the national championship. So big things for, uh, for hot rod. And the last, the last point um, that I really took away from the game. Um, well, actually second to last point, I'll, I'll say this one. Uh, the atmosphere was great. Uh, the, the crowd was heavily favored in, in the, uh, in the red and black. And uh, it was a great atmosphere uh, for, uh, for a national championship. And that brings me to my last and final point, the true MVP was and I, and I hate that and I hate that this was the uh, I hate this was y'all's league uh, with the Big Ten, but the officiating crew was probably one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, outside of the Music City Bowl, this is probably one of the worst officiated games I've ever seen, and they were they were terrible all around. And I, I don't want this to sound like sour grapes, but they it, it didn't seem like they knew what was going on about three quarters of the time. They rarely got anything right. They had to review. It seemed like they had to review every play um, because they just weren't good enough. The offsides call was atrocious. Um, you know, at first glance, you think it's offsides, and you, then you second glance at it real time, and then you notice it's the ball has had been snapped. It was actually uh, the guy that called for offsides. He's got a late jump. Um, the, the Alabama players flinched. Uh, the uh, DeAndre Swift almost got his head ripped off uh, when he was being tackled. Uh, that could have been called. It was no, not called. Uh, Alabama's linebacker uh, makes a good play on Jake Fromm when he, he pulls it on his own read, and, and he makes a play of, of stopping him for no gain, and he shoves his head in the ground. Uh, that's not called. Uh, the, the, the kid that uh, threw a punch uh, at a Georgia player, landed and connected that punch right in front of a referee uh, and then went on the Alabama sidelines and uh, in an effort to try to get to Nick Saban, actually ended up throwing the punch at the team chaplain. Um, so he was not ejected for throwing the punch. 
and connecting. And then he was not kicked off the sideline by the coaching staff for swinging at the team chaplain. And then later he caps it off by absolutely uh, longest yard style clotheslining the kick returner um, on a, on a, some one of the kickoffs in the second half. Uh, there was holding everywhere, egregious holding everywhere. Uh, the pass interference call was extremely ticky tack in that situation. Um, uh, that it got called in uh, on Malcolm Parrish. Oh, I forgot this point. Malcolm Parrish in the Georgia defensive backfield was obviously the weak link of the Georgia defense. They got toasted and burnt all night long. Uh, I'm going to get to that last play here in just a second after I finish complaining about the rest. Um, actually, I'm done complaining about the rest. They were, they were god-awful. They were garbage the entire night. I wish we had the – I wish we had – I even wish we had the crew that, that, that did the Sugar Bowl. That crew was great. The, the crew that did, I didn't really pay much attention to the refs, but I assume since I didn't really see much of the refs uh, in many of the bowl games, I felt like most of the officiating crews did a fairly good job for the most part. The crew, the ACC crew that did the Rose Bowl was phenomenal. Um, they didn't hardly make any calls. They called the egregious stuff, and that was about it. Um, there wasn't really much to call, and they did a tremendous job. They didn't have to review Hard, they didn't have to review a lot of things. They they were very concise in what they did. Uh, but we, you know, again, the, the worst crew ever for the national championship, which is a shame. But um, And let's talk about the final play, okay? Um, there's a lot of debate over that final play and how it's so easy. You get you get Alabama backed up, second 26, okay? You're in cover two, which is fine, you know, because, you, you know, you, 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 your cover two or maybe some sort of combo coverage where it's like cover six, which is, uh, you know, quarter, quarter, half with the defensive back. So, so like your weak side safety in a, in a trip situation is going to have the, the deep half and then your, your strong safety and your, and your strong corner to the trip side are in quarters coverage. And then you have the underneath covered as well. Well, Dominic Sanders was the weak safety. Whether they were in cover six or cover two, he had he had deep half. It was one of those two covers. He had deep half. Malcolm Parrish had had the flats, and he had, he was on a single receiver. And the first rule in cover two, no matter what, if you have a single receiver and he goes vertical, you carry him as far as you can. You're, you're basically it turns into man coverage um, until your until your safety can can help you over top. So basically, you're bracketing that guy. All right. Not only does he get burnt, but he doesn't lay a glove on the on Devontae Smith. And Dominic Sanders bites on a low route. Tackle Valoa looks him off, which he does a good job as, as a quarterback looking off the safety. Safety fell for it. Safety fell for the cheese. You had uh, no starting experience. Nineteen-year-old uh, kid thrown in, thrown into the mix in the biggest stage in college football versus a, a, a veteran safety who had 50-something starts under his belt uh, biting on a low route that was taken care of. Uh, so he did the flippy-dippy and couldn't get back over, and Tagovailoa made an easy throw because there was no pressure on him. Uh, made an easy throw and made a strike to uh, Devontae Smith for the for the game winner. But, uh, you know, as much as I appreciate Malcolm Parrish's efforts um, over his career at the University of Georgia – to say that he had a shocker was uh, was an understatement. I mean, it was it was bad. He was toast all night long. There was there was opportunities that Alabama missed, in which pa- Malcolm Parrish was burnt. 
Uh, so yeah, there was uh, one point in the, in the first quarter. I think he fell down when Jalen sure. Hurts just completely over overthrew what was yeah. a, a wide open touchdown. I mean, the, the receiver I think it was Ridley was about ten yards behind him. Yeah, and the same thing happened uh, in Tagovailoa's first shot play. Ridley had about four steps on him, and he overthrew him. Thankfully, but uh, I mean, it was bad. And uh, you know, DeAndre Baker's coming back for his senior year. He was the lone bright spot in that secondary. J.R. Reed was up and down, but he's just inexperienced as a as a safety. He was a uh, he was actually a transfer from uh, University of Tulsa. So um, he's the son of. Um, Jake Reed, or not son, but he is a uh, nephew, the nephew of Jake Reed from, from your Bills, Matt. Oh, um, former former LSU wide receiver. Yeah. And, no, uh, yeah. like the old school Jake Reed. You mean Andre Reed? Andre Reed. Yeah, Andre Reed. Okay. That, that, I said Jake. Didn't I? Yeah, um, Jake Reed. Uh, Andre Reed, yeah, the – the, the Bills guy. Yeah, well, Jake Reed played for the Bills too. So did he? Oh yeah, he was drafted by the Bills, third or fourth round, I think. Yeah. Anyway, he is uh, he's related to Andre Reed, but um, so uh, I think addition by subtraction in the Georgia secondary, moving on into uh, the next season, is going to be uh, kind of a you know you get bigger, more physical corners out there to be able to handle some of those some of those things, and you know kind of do what DeAndre Baker does. DeAndre Baker is extremely physical and he's extremely talented and, you know, he'll, he'll be a key addition for, uh, you know, he'll be a good senior leader coming back next year. So, uh, but anyway, those, those are my takeaways guys. Uh, I'll let you kind of fire away and kind of react. Josh, go for it. Oh boy. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, the, the people talk about the gamble that Saban made with Tua. But, like, they're getting their butts kicked. It's 13-0, and it didn't even feel that competitive. Jalen Hurts was 3 of 8. He had to do something. It was the easiest gamble in the world. And yet, because it's Nick Saban, people are going to be talking about this for years and years and years and years and claim it's the greatest coaching decision of all time. It's not. All right? It's not. Second of all, uh, Georgia coaching staff, I don't know why they kept giving Nick Chubb the ball once once Sonny Michelle – Seemingly got hurt. I don't know about that. It's still he only had three carries in the fourth quarter. But um, DeAndre Swift was really, really good. And the running back uh, runs given to wide receiver Hardman were pretty effective. It was clear that as amazing as Nick Chubb can be, he was too slow against that Alabama defense. They should have went with DeAndre Swift in, in that yep. scenario. Um, if, if, if Sony Michelle is truly injured, they should have went with Swift. Yep. And, you know, Coach, you hit some of the same turning points that I had. So 20-7, uh, third quarter, six and a half minutes left. Tua got intercepted. Very next play, kick from interception. You're a running team. You already tried to do – sneak passes, trick passes, and, you know, be away from your bread and butter to get Alabama thinking the other way in the first quarter, and it didn't work. At the very least, you go three and out, take off two more, two to four more minutes, and kick a field goal. Dumb. Dumb coaching. It should have been 23-7 to seven at the very least, if not more. Uh, and then when it was 20-10, to 10, uh, there was a punt by 
Georgia on a drive where they had a second and three and a third and four. And what do they do? The second and three, Nick Chubb loss of one, and then the sack on third and four. Why are you passing there? And again, Nick Chubb, too slow for this game. He had a few nice runs, but overall, 25 yards on 18 carries. Dumb, dumb play calling on that. Uh, then Alabama gets a field goal, so it's a touchdown game. It's 20 to 13. Uh, Georgia goes three and out. They punt. Uh, but here's the thing they like set themselves up in a little bit of a hole. Went on first down, they ran Nick Chubb for a loss of one. Uh, and then they had Hardman get a nine yard carry to kind of bail them out. Then they ran the allegedly hurt Sony Michelle. That was one of his just three carries in the fourth quarter. So either he's healthy enough to go or he's hurt. Why did he get three carries? Very weird. I don't get it. Um, and then they punted. It was a fourth and one. Granted, it was at their own 23-yard line. I, I don't nitpick there. But I will say I've seen Brett Bielema call some really clever fake punts deep in your own territory. Sometimes those work even better than the fake punt at the middle at midfield. But either way, I didn't really like that series. Then Alabama ties it up. What does Georgia do with those last 54 seconds? Pass, pass, pass. They had three minutes and 49 seconds left, and they ran 54 seconds off. They almost lost the game in regulation from that drive. Again, why are you passing that much? Fromm made some really clutch passes. But the bread and butter of this team is running. How does Swift not get the ball in any of these drives? Uh, And then last but not least, the field goal. First down, Chubb, gain of three. Second down, Chubb, gain of one. Third down, sacked. Again, you know, where's Swift? Where's Hardman? Where are these guys that are faster? Once it's apparent that Sonny Michelle is out by that point, not even getting a touch in overtime, I just, you know, I, I'm not blaming this loss on Nick Chubb because he's phenomenal and had an amazing career, and I would have loved to have him on the Iowa Hawkeye roster at any point in these last four years. But his coaches did not put him in a good position to succeed. It was very, very apparent that he – was not the type of runner that succeeds against Alabama. And they went to that well way too many times, especially in overtime with the carries on first and second down. And so I, I'm putting this on the coaches. I, I think they coached. Unfortunately, I think they uh, I think they popped in the tape of the Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl and decided they would recreate those memories. Oh, God. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, definitely the coaching part of it is, you know, anytime you go way too conservative, you run in obvious run situations and you do the obvious pass and passing situations instead of kind of being what you are. And, you know, I thought toward down the stretch of the season, Georgia had a good balance and a good mix of run and pass that really got them to this point. And really allowed them, you know, if you go back to the last drive of the Rose Bowl, they methodically just drove right down the field, uh, running and passing and had a good mix and kept Oklahoma off off balance pretty much all night. Well, they, you know, 
it's hard to keep Alabama off balance when they know exactly what's coming based on mm-hmm. based on your tendencies. They played to their tendencies and they shut it down uh, in key situations when they were trying to eat the clock and just trying to shove Nick Chubb up the middle all game long. Uh, they went super conservative, and you know that that is on the coaches and uh, not being able to. Uh, realize that Malcolm Parrish is burnt toast out there and, you know, shit, go with a more athletic, more physical body out there. Screw, screw experience at that point. You know, Malcolm Parrish, yeah, he had a lot of starts and he has a lot of time, but damn, just go with somebody that just physically can get it done and match up with those Alabama receivers. You know, you never know until you throw somebody out there. Alabama learned that. They didn't know what they had to until they threw yeah. them out there. And, and then the last – and Najee Harris, do they throw him out there? The the last thing that, that I noticed from the game is that the, the last couple of seconds, the, the overtime, they get the sack, they're feeling really good, and it, it almost seemed like Alabama saw something where they almost went hurry up after that sack. And, like, Herbstreit was just kind of rambling about something unrelated. And it was just boom, boom. I'm wondering, they just get a huge, huge play. If hindsight being 2020, it's never fair, but that's what we do. Uh-huh. You know, maybe maybe the coaching staff take a, takes a timeout and just says, hey, this is one play in overtime. We got to be set. Like, yeah. we haven't won this thing on a first down sack. And, yeah. and just, you know, the, the secondary had been an issue all year, just taking that timeout reiterate and say, hey, the thing's changed. We're now in a long yard, down and distance situation. We got to be aware of what Alabama might be doing with, with a, you know, what their pass patterns might look like now that they're facing a second. And it was almost 20, right? It was a long sack. It was second 26. And you know what, yeah. you know what brilliant, creative, well-designed play Alabama came out with? They came out trips right and ran four verticals. <laughs> That's it. They ran four verticals. They had the tight end run a divide, so the tight end ran divide, you know, deep cross divide uh, to the other hash. Then you had the the two the other two guys in the trips formation ran close hash numbers, and then the single receiver all he did was inside release and get up the numbers. And Dominic Sanders was just he was played like a like a fiddle. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, you know, obviously, I think we were all rooting for Georgia here. Coach clearly was. And, you know, Josh and I know we're both rooting for Georgia. Even if we didn't know you, Coach, I know Josh and I would be rooting for Georgia because, let's face it, no one wanted to see another Alabama championship except for – Can I say full disclosure, Coach, I was more rooting against Alabama than for Georgia. (laughs) Either way, you were for us. Doesn't matter. I'll take it. Um, Even if my – if my degree had said Purdue University, I would have been rooting for Georgia. If my degree said uh, anything except University of Alabama, I would be rooting for Georgia um, <laughs> in that situation or just rooting against Alabama, really. But, um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't care. You're for us <laughs> in some, some capacity. I'll take it. Yeah, well, I, I think that's going to be a, a good place to wrap up there. George is going to have a really strong team coming back next year, Coach. Obviously, you lose Roquan, but yeah. uh, and but you know you're going to have a lot of good guys back next year, and uh, obviously the clear favorites in the SEC East. 
um, and, you know, should be uh, are definitely on the short list for teams to be in the playoff next year. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think honestly it's going to be us, you know, either us, Alabama, some combination of us and Alabama and Clemson. Uh, and then, you know, I think your big 10 champ gets in there uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. Now that would that make too much sense after big 10 showed that they were clearly the most top to bottom conference in the in football. Sure. The committee will find someone much more deserving, probably like a uh, two loss, Arizona State team get Herm Edwards in there. If Herm Edwards goes eleven and two at Arizona State, I I, I don't even know if I, I would sacrifice Bob Matt, Hart. Matt, they wouldn't go eleven and two. They'd go ten and two because they wouldn't even be conference champions. That's how the committee operates. Touche. Yeah, conference champions are irrelevant in this day and age of football. Oh, good lord. Anyhow, um, well, with that, the national champions did not even win their own division. But um, we're going to have to say good night here uh, on Illegal Motion. So, uh, Josh, any final words? Well, yeah, just uh, one little player that we did not mention who left, but uh, Jason Driscoll uh, wrapping up his football career. Uh, he's got a civil engineering degree from Florida Atlantic. Uh, really helped Lane Kiffin engineer that incredible turnaround. So hats off to that young man. And we've got an early, early contender for a team that is going to bury the league, bury the lead a lot. And that is the Big Ten zone, Illinois. So in honor of that, guys, we buried the lead. Illinois has had two quarterbacks leave the roster. Jeff George, grad transfer, and Chase Crouch, Retiring, uh, that means Cam Thomas, their freshman, is their go-to guy now, and they are woefully thin, woefully thin at that position. So that's our first buried lead of the season. Illinois football, delightfully hilarious. No, you, you missed the mark, Josh. <laughs> but Chad Morris and Woo Pig Suey. <laughs> Come on, man. Do we have a double burying the lead? I, I, I think we might. I, I think we, we did, I think we buried wow. it, dug it back up, and buried it again. <laughs> we did. And uh, on, on a side note, if we're if we're uh, if we're still talking about Illinois, uh, I guess that's what Herm Edwards has going for him. He is he is the second best washed up NFL coach in college football right now. Is is second on a list of two? I was, yeah. Well, can you call Lane Kiffin a washed up NFL head coach? Yeah. He coached the Raiders. He was there for a year. No. Which is the exact length of time he was at Tennessee. Yep. No. <laughs> no, Lane Kiffin doesn't count. He wasn't there long enough. Okay. Uh, Lovey Smith was at least in a Super Bowl. Well, uh, I, I, Jim Caldwell needs a job. Maybe he can find one and, and join the trifecta. <laughs> he can, he, if they want to uh, dig up, uh, pun intended, if they want to dig up the, the, the weekend at Bernie's, franchise and, and reboot it. I think Jim Caldwell's your your number one guy. Bernie, absolutely. <laughs> um, and Les Miles. Changed. Yeah. Les Miles is going to be an independent actor. He's coming up in a film. Uh, I don't know what the film is, but I'm, I'm going to see it. Uh, <laughs> is, is, it is it called Chewing Grass? Something like that. All right. 
Well, we're going to have to wrap up there for the night, gentlemen. Um, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, we're getting to the off season, so we'll be talking uh, a little recruiting coming up uh, around signing day, even though most of the major stuff happened with the early signing day this year. We will have uh, a new line of off season pods. We've already done uniforms and mascots, so we'll, we'll come up with uh, with something fun for you guys this off season. And, and as always, there's always news to college football. So uh, we will be getting to that next time here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. So uh, on behalf of the coach, Coy Burton here in Nashville, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor in Nashville saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. And you know this, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.